You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to get into the fallout of USC's 31-24 loss to the Oregon Ducks in the Pac-12 championship. USC deciding to opt out of a bowl game just a day later. And what's transpired since then? So we'll get into our stock up, stock down, Chris's take it or leave it section, and we'll even answer some of your questions. But before we dive into it, I just have to address at the top. Chris Trevino said before we started recording, can I go get something? And I was like, sure, okay. He comes back in a full visual bit, ugly sweater and a Cowboys Christmas beanie. Chris, explain yourself. You know, I feel like the visual bits just haven't been as strong as when I first started. I needed to go out with a big visual bit to end 2020. So I just threw on the ugly Christmas sweater, the Christmas cap, just to get into the festive mood. Uh, for you guys, you know, Christmas is in a couple days. Feeling the spirit, trying to keep that positive energy going. So I decided to throw this on. It is a little warm in my apartment, so hopefully I don't pass out uh, by the time Take It or Leave It rolls around. Yeah, but that's where I'm at. Visual Bits 2020 going into 2021. I'm perfectly fine with Chris passing out by the end of the show. I think it would be a, a, a great – that's the, the ultimate visual bit there, Chris. <laughs> that, that is true. Just me completely passing out onto the floor. That would be the ultimate uh, bit to end it all, end all visual bits. Alrighty, Shotgun's giving us the move it along eye roll, so that's what we'll do. Shotty, I'll toss it to you first. Stock up, who you got? Let's start with the positive from this week. Uh, let's start with Talano Hufunga, who was uh, just uh, on Tuesday was named the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, the first one since Adoree Jackson in 2016, first one, only the second one since uh, Ray Maluga in 2008. And he's the first USC safety all time to, to be named the Defensive Player of the Year. Now, the Defensive Player of the Year award in the Pac-12 only goes back to the 1983. So we're missing out on some Ryan Lott and a couple of other guys back there uh, that were really, really good at that position as well. But congratulations to Anahu Funga. He was all over the field this season, playing safety, playing linebacker, playing at the line of scrimmage, doing a little bit of everything. Over 10 tackles per game, he had t- double-digit tackles in four of the six games. He had four interceptions, four consecutive games with an interception, nearly had a fifth. Uh, could have been a game changer uh, in that Oregon against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. We just kind of, you know, how many plays he made this year? It seems like this was probably the last time we'll see him in a USC uniform. But, you know, he was a terrific player to cover. And, you know, congratulations to him on taking that next step that, over the last year in his game. Stayed healthy this year and probably made himself a lot more money by doing that and making so many plays this year. That's a good one. Uh, obvious one. I also kind of had that in the same realm, Tala. Talano Hufunga's All-American status. He got first-team All-American from ESPN, got a second-team nod uh, from Pro Football Focus. So excellent uh, accomplishments there for him. Going to get up on the uh, the, the the plaque, the All-American wall, which is a fitting uh, move for this player. You know, a guy who's been a special talent since he got, got here, had the injury problems, but it was nice to see him get through a full season uh, and see what he can do. I know it was a shortened season, but just to see the playmaking ability this guy brings every day and I would have been fascinated to see what a full, you know, 13-game schedule would have been look, looked like with him uh, playing at this high level. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you bring up his All-American status because uh, there's a lot of questions with guys that only get six games in. You know, if they will be able to have made enough plays to 
to be on that wall to, you know, that's a prestigious honor at USC and something everybody kind of talks about. So, you know, kudos to him for being able to, to make enough plays that he has moved himself onto those Ameri- all American watch lists and, you know, as being, being uh, recognized for what he did this season. I would just like to say for the record that I tried to butt in and shotgun strong on me. So I just got to say he was on my stock up as well. Like I said, last week, I, like Chris said, I'm bummed that we can't see six more games of Hufanga. Chris, who do you have on stock up? I'm continuing with the Polynesian theme. I had Kanai Mauga on my list. He had a, an excellent game, even though he was probably one of the few like truly bright spots of that game. Just the, the stat line he put up, I believe 14 tackles. Uh, his second double-digit tackle uh, performance of the season. I know he made our top 30 most important list, and I think sort of these performances he's had this year uh, kind of uh, cemented his spot and backed up our feelings of putting him on this list. Palie Nateote is gone, so you feel like Kanai maybe is going to make that transition into another full-time starting year. Uh, he's flashed a lot more this year. I, I, I like what he showed this year. Once he gets going, he could be an impressive playmaker in this conference, and I really enjoyed watching him in that, that, uh, that championship game. Yeah, he was the first guy I thought of uh, when I was putting this together, putting up my stock up. Um, no one has come farther from the beginning of the season. You know, I, I put Talano Hofunga as the first one I talked about because he just got the award, but Kanai Malga is the guy whose stock has risen the most since the beginning of the season, I think, than anyone on that defense. Because the first first games of the season, obviously, he has a hamstring injury in camp, and then against Arizona, he gets benched during the game. He's, you know, uh, shifting in and out with Raylan Goforth uh, at the spot opposite of Pallier and Iteote. He gets benched because he's not being able to cover the guys on the edge, and that was one of the most impressive plays of this game to me on the defense side was – Early in the game, Oregon tried to attack USC on the edges with a play similar to what you know Malga had struggled with against Arizona, and he was right there, tosses down Travis Dye for like a two-yard gain, just completely wraps him up and slings him out of bounds. And I thought it was one of the more impressive plays because it showed that, hey, I can cover that guy and get out there. So that was you know just an early stock up, and then he just continued making plays over and over and over in this game. So he was definitely on there. He had the, uh, the highest – uh, PFF rating of any player this season on the defensive side, 90.7, which is the highest of any USC defender and d- any d- USC defensive starter in the last three years. So, yeah, he definitely made stock up for, for me. Um, I, I thought that he's he's come a long way from the beginning of the season. So whether it was rust or the injury or whatever, you know, there's some questions about him even making the starting lineup with Raylan Goforth and Pali and Iteote in there. Uh, but, you know, with uh, with Pallier out, he's taking advantage of it, and Malga has really taken over in the middle of that defense. And we didn't even mention the interception, which was pretty nice, and that impressive run back, which for a second there I thought he was going to take it to the house. I, w- I was curious if he w- he should have probably pitched it back to one of the DBs. Uh, now, Malga, uh, they said he played running back in high school, but give the ball to a DB when you ever have an interception return. There was an opportunity there early in the interception where I think it was Isaiah Paul Mal and one of the, you know, one of the cornerbacks maybe was there. I'm pitching it back. You know, if you get the ball in Elijah Griffin's hands, that's a guy who's going to be able to return it for a touchdown. The pitch works like 0.05% of the time. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Okay. Hand it off to them. He was right beside them. Just hand the ball to them. No. It was a fun, it was an interesting run back. You know, there are a lot of jukes in there, even though it wasn't really going very far with, with the jukes. Yeah, a lot of slow motion jukes. Yeah. Did you guys see Vic Soto on the sideline during that? He looked like he was about to run out there and truck some people down. Like, he looked like he wanted to be on that play. <laughs> it's 
classic Vic. It's classic Vic. Yeah, not surprising there. Now, you guys took the players I had on stock up, so this might be a controversial one, but I had stock up on Oregon. I mean, you lose to Cal and Oregon State, you come into this kind of not deserving to be in the game, and yet you somehow take care of business and you're celebrating on USC's field and you're going to the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, that's kind of worthy of stock up. They they had an opportunity. Whether or not it, it was deserved is is highly debatable, but they were put in a position to succeed, and they took it. So stock up for Oregon. Get her, Shotgun. Get her. Why? Uh, wh- <laughs> no, I actually had a, I had Kayvon Thibodeau on my stock up. Uh, so to, to go off the playoff Achilles, um, yeah, I think Oregon went from not having a chance in the Pac-12, you know, not being able to play that that final game against Washington and what could have been to, hey, we got a chance, we're going to make it in. We got some extra rest in USC. Let's take advantage of it. And, you know, they played, they played well enough to win. Uh, they didn't play great. Their quarterback play was very shoddy. Uh, but Kayvon Thibodeau and the defense stepped up really big. Kayvon Thibodeau, 12 pressures in this game. He eviscerated USC coming off the edges. USC as a team. Had 11 pressures this game, and Kayvon Thibodeau had 12. So that tells you uh, pretty much all you need to know. You know, he was in the backfield a lot. He didn't have a ton of actual sacks, um, but he was, you know, he was there, hit the quarterback, and you know, moved Keaton Slovis off of his spot a lot. Um, and he was just, he got named the Pac-12, uh, the championship player of the game, the MVP of the game. So credit to him. You know, a guy that was was in USC's backyard that they could not pull in on the recruiting trail and. He makes a big impact against the Trojans in this one. Yeah, literally in the backyard. Maybe less than 15 minutes grew up from USC's campus. So and that one's going to stick. Yeah, went to Dorsey High School initially before ended up at Oast Christian. So yeah, that, that one's, that's one that you know he grew up driving by the Coliseum you know, often. And instead, he, he made his mark in the Coliseum. And just to reiterate, like this, and we've talked about it, but if you're going to have the hashtag, take back the West... And that's all my stock down. But if you're going to have all this bravado, but you can't back it up on the field, it just gives them even more motivation. You know, this could have been a chance in Oregon's quote-unquote rebuild year. You could have silenced them a little bit, and yet there they are dancing on your field with confetti flying down. It's just not not a great look. So stock up for Oregon, stock down for USC in that sense. I, I got to stock up in a similar vein. New rivalry, question mark? Oh, yeah. You don't have to do the question mark. <laughs> well, this is the thing. It's because these things kind of go in you know, a cyclical nature when you're playing in a conference. And you know, if, if two teams are winning uh, pretty consistently, similar to like, is Alabama-Clemson now a rivalry because they face off in the championship every year? Uh, it, it's kind of in that vein um, where it, you know, in a couple years, if there's a head coaching change, maybe things change and you know, one program's not doing as well. So... USC goes through kind of different rivalries with different programs in the in the conference. Um, so it's like, is this budding a, a, a true budding rivalry, or is it just one of those kind of conference? Um, you know, every couple of years these things kind of play out. But there's definitely some animosity between the two teams. Uh, they do not like each other. You know, they they're definitely the coaching staffs. Mario Cristobal calling USC out this week, taking shots during, you know, during the week, talking about how we don't do hashtags. We just put it out there on the field. Now we're back-to-back champs, two-loss champ. They backed their way into the championship game, uh, but they did win, you know, on the field. So they get credit for that. Uh, so, 
you know, it's interesting how the, these two teams have kind of, you know, how they don't like each other so much when they haven't really played that much, actually, which is what is really interesting to me. They haven't played a ton recently, but they don't like each other at all. I just want to point out to the fans listening at home, anyone listening to this podcast, Shotgun officially just swiped my heard it with Crystal Ball's comments on the edit. So I'm done. I'm out. See ya. No more. I just gave a general overview of his comments, Chris. You can still actually touch on them. Done. Goodbye. That means you better come up with another one. I also dipped into my Herd It, so we might just unilaterally nuke the Herd It section for this week's pod. Oh, guys. It's gone. You guys are always trying to do this. Two to one. I don't have an official vote, but it's two to one. (laughs) Chrissy T. Oh, can I just add an audible stock up? The nickname Chrissy T, stock up for that. There were like multiple tweets this week calling Chris Chrissy T, and I love it. <laughs> it started off as a nickname that you hated, so I kept saying it, and now I can't stop, so I apologize. I never hate I never hate nicknames. I'm she doesn't, but I never hate nicknames. They're given for a reason, and I embrace all nicknames I have. So if you want to call me Chrissy T or tweet at me Chrissy T, so be it. But I'm not adding it to my bio, or am I changing my Twitter handle to Chrissy T? That's fine. I'll accept that. Uh, I had a slight stock up on uh, Mr. Brew McCoy. Now, I know people are going to be mad about the missed drop, the big one that probably would have changed the entire outlook of the game. But before that, he was having a very good game, ended up leading the team with reception or yards with 76 yards, well on his way to his first 100-yard game if he brings that in, came up with the big do-or-die fourth down 25-yard catch, also at the fourth and goal touchdown. Keaton is definitely we, – we've seen this multiple times throughout the season where uh, Brew will come up with a big catch in the second half, either on third down or maybe a fourth down, and he's gotten looks in the in the red zone. So you see Keaton is starting to trust uh, this young receiver. He's got a bright future. I know people are going to be – I know on Twitter people were you're you know flaming him for miss, dropping that, a perfect ball. But it comes down to Keaton still threw a pick trying to throw the ball out of bounds. That's not on Brew. That's where I stand with that. If he makes that catch, yes, it changes the game. But also, it's not his fault that the that the ball was picked off trying to throw it out of bounds. And I'm sticking with that. See, the, ga- the game is never won or lost on one play, in my opinion. But I actually had young receivers in stock neutral consideration. Just because, obviously, the future is bright with Drake London and Brew McCoy. But then you have um, an area where once... Amon Ross St. Brown came out, I think you definitely missed his absence. He's going to make those plays that only Amon Ross St. Brown can make. So it's a bright future, and, and that's a hard over-the-shoulder trying to track that ball down for Brim McCoy. So I don't necessarily blame him on that, even though it like, kind of hit him. But that was my stock-neutral consideration. I mean, that's a tough catch, but you got to make it. I mean, that's one that Amon Ross St. Brown, I don't think any of us have any doubt that he makes that catch. And that's part of the reason is because we see him practice laying on the ground and have people throwing the ball from, you know, walking around him in all directions so that he catches it in different directions. So, you know, that's one that is a tough catch, but that's the, you know, that's those game-defining plays. And USC didn't make the game-defining plays in this game. Um, and Clay Helton said it on his uh, com- on his uh, radio show call that, oh, there were – you know, probably a dozen plays where if we just make this play, well, that's the game of football. And USC has made those this season and didn't make them in this game, and that was kind of the difference for them. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown probably catches that. But I, I agree with Chris that Brew McCoy had a big game, and he's got a bright future for USC. 
the the running back I mean the wide receiver group you got Brew McCoy Gary Bryant nearly had his first touchdown as well came you know a yard short on that they were able to use him in some different ways I think they they really like those two guys going forward you're probably going to lose you're going to lose Amon Ross St. Brown and probably Tyler Vaughn's as well uh, so both of those guys could probably fill in in those positions. Potentially getting Kyle Ford back would really help as well. And you got a pretty good group of, of wide receivers coming in uh, as freshmen as well. So I, I think the wide receiver group is going to be fine going forward, even though you're potentially losing you know, one of your you know career catch leaders in Tyler Vons and then one, a guy who's just been uh, super productive for three years in Amon Ross St. Brown. And so I, I think the wide receiver position is in a perfectly fine position. A uh, little side note, I still don't understand how Gary Bryant didn't score on that play. It was, like, right there. I still don't understand. I've watched it many times, and I just don't understand. It's called a solid tackle. That's how. Because he's a smaller uh, guy. That's, that's what that looks like. Oh. <laughs> yes, indeed. Big hit from Nick Pickett right there on the one-yard line. But because Gary Bryant's not a huge dude, you know, when he gets hit, he goes backwards instead of forward. Shadi, this is where you add in your – Multiple stock ups. <laughs> this is uh, how, how about a, how about a quick stock up for Carolina McCullough? You know he comes in. Uh, Chase Williams and Isaac Taylor Stewart are not available. Greg Johnson injured and out for the season. They put in their dime package. McCullough comes in in that series and he hadn't played a defensive snap all season. His first defensive snap, he comes in, he hits the tight end and breaks up a pass, almost a fumble there. A ball was being bobbled or USC might have had a turnover or something that you know they could have really used in this game. Uh, but, you know, coming in, stepping in, and every time he's been in the game, you know, the last two years, he's made some plays. And, and you know, that's kind of what we saw from him at the Polynesian Bowl initially. You know, a long, lanky guy. Doesn't wow you in any factor, but he just makes a lot of plays. So he, he's a guy to keep an eye on going forward, especially if USC loses some safeties, uh, you know, going forward, Talanoa Hufunga and possibly IPM, Isaiah, Isaiah Polamau. Uh, we'll see if he's a guy that gets in that mix next year uh, in this new one. And if you guys don't have anything else, I, I, I think you got to put stock up for recruiting rankings. You know, USC, where were they at last year? They were terrible. This year, they're, you know, on the fringe of the top 10, you know, back where they kind of belong as far as recruiting rankings and a possibility to bump up a little bit higher if they get some some of the guys that are really targeting with those last couple of spots that they're looking at. So I think you got to put the recruiting rankings up as well because our last podcast, last Family View podcast, was before signing day. So we gotta we got to throw that in there as well. And per my contract, you did use the term long and lanky to describe a safety. So I got to go back on my short and stubby safety gang, baby. Let's go. Can you explain to those who might not know what you're talking about, Chris, why you are part of the short and stubby gang? Yeah, I feel like we've gotten a bunch of new fans since I made this initial fans, short and stubby. Chris. Fans? Fans of the podcast. Wow, sure, Keely, okay. get out of your own head. Get out of your head. Get out of your head. I was talking about you and your... I wasn't talking about ego. me. I didn't say my fans. I said fans. Okay, continue. Anyway, as always, any, every time someone mentions a long safety, it's always about, you know, they like the length, they long long and lanky safeties. They got the range, you know, Devin Kirkwood, uh, Isaiah Polamau, those guys, Kaulana. But I was like, no, I'm going to build a defense around the opposite. Short and stubby, baby. Give me a Brandon Peely playing fee safety. Give me a give me a Marlin playing strong safety up in the box, baby. Dropping back. You wouldn't know what to do with that. Quarterback be like, coach, what do I do? I don't know why Keely's on mute right now because she's laughing so hard. <laughs> but here's my question, Chris. Is is the mass helpful in the coverage? You know, it's a it's a bigger target that you might hit if you're trying to find an open window. 
look, there's just nothing more terrifying than seeing Brandon Peely and Marlon Tupelotu playing too deep. Justin Fields would not know what to do with that. Trevor Lawrence would look like a seventh rounder against that. They wouldn't. They wouldn't have any answers. He'd be crying on the sideline. I think their answer would be to throw it over the top where the wide receivers would be wide open. Yeah, hey. and then you can have Brandon Peely make the one-handed over-the-shoulder catch Backward. and stun on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. like that. But that's my short and stubby gang safety take. Visual bit. Hashtag. All right, I'm done. There you go. All righty. Shall we move on to stock down? I'm sure we have a lot to say in this category. Chrissy T, I'm throwing it back to you. Who you got? I know Shotgun will have a lot more on this, but I got a lot of texts and questions about this throughout the week uh, about Drake Jackson in coverage. Why is that guy in coverage? That guy is your best pass rusher, best pure pass rusher. That guy should just be after the quarterback 24-7. I mean, I believe Orlando made a reference to this early in the season about it's just a pass rushing spot. He's not going to be in coverage a lot, but it seemed like he was in coverage a lot this uh, this past weekend. Not great results. USC could not really get to, to shuck, bring him down. I don't know. It just seemed like a, a misuse of him. The thing was he wasn't in coverage a ton in this game. It just seemed like that because every time he was, they attacked it. And, you know, the, the second touchdown, the the, tie, the touchdown to the tight end, uh, there was a miscommunication with Drake Jackson and Chris Steele. You know, Drake Jackson basically, he's supposed to be guarding the tight end. He comes off and, and takes on Chris Steele's uh, guy and leaves the tight end, lets him go. And, you know, maybe if it's – maybe this is a season where you got more practice, maybe you can make that transfer and maybe that's something you want to do. Instead of just sticking in a straight man-to-man and, you know, Drake Jackson running with the tight end. But it ends up being with a wide-open guy. and You know, Oregon's able to take advantage there. So that was the big one, him being in coverage there and, and missing on that. But uh, according to Pro Football Focus, he only had three uh, snaps where he was in coverage. So it's interesting that, you know, that you noted it so often. But it, it is something – I think I had Drake Jackson on stock down as well. Uh, but not necessarily just his coverage, just – he didn't make a big impact in this game. You know, he wasn't able to get to the quarterback a lot. Uh, they, they sometimes they were just kind of rushing him just to be a, a, a placeholder. You know, so the quarterback couldn't get out of the pocket. You know, didn't want to you know over pursue in some of those. Uh, so it just it seemed like he was neutered a bit in this game. And whether whether that was his performance solely or if it was the defense's design, it seemed more like there was some design flaws there where they just didn't get Drake Jackson attacking the quarterback enough and didn't create enough opportunities for him to, to be a playmaker. Yeah, and mine wasn't necessarily a knock on him and his abilities to coverage. It was more like how you're using him. He's a pass rusher. He gets after the quarterback. That's what he should be doing most of the time. And, yeah, like you said, it might, might have been a scheme thing or where he was just you know wasn't effective in how they were using him. The most effective way to use a guy like that and drop him into coverage is when he's dominating. You know, if you know the way Kayvon Thibodeau was dominating, if you then drop him back in coverage, this is only if you trust a guy to be in coverage. But if, if he has gotten a couple sacks or you know is getting a lot of pressure, and then suddenly the offense has to change and say we got to put a tight end over there, we got to chip him with a running back, and now you drop him in coverage, now you've occupied two blockers for someone that that is not even pass rushing. 
So then you should be able to win in some other area. You should have an advantage in a different part. Uh, but the thing is, you got to be—he's got to be able to get some pressure on the quarterback before that is really effective. Now he can drop in coverage and it can be effective. We've seen him get the interception on the screen pass previously. You know, he's been pretty good in coverage so far this season. Uh, but he, he just wasn't able to make a big impact in this game. So you you wonder, you know, if there was some other way they could have done what something else they could have done to to create some more opportunities for him to get to the quarterback. In that same vein, I also have Marlon Tui Pelotu. Just you know, the the stars on the defensive line just weren't making a lot of plays this game, and Marlon kind of struggled down the stretch. They used him a ton. You know, USC did not did not sub a, a bunch on the front lines. Uh, Marlon played 55 of the 61 potential snaps in this game. That's a ton of snaps for him. Drake Jackson played 52, and that's not playing the last two drives of the game. So those two guys played a ton of snaps but weren't very effective at, at creating a, a bunch of havoc like they had been earlier in the season. In that sense, would you say that the concerns we had coming into this season were valid, given that we flagged, okay, how is Drake Jackson going to be used, and will Marlon Tuipolotu be able to keep up with the workload that they're giving him? I think there's def- our concerns are definitely valid. I mean, you look at it. And now I think this also plays into the three games in 13 days. We talked about it. We talked about it on Tunnel Vision. We talked about it. You know, how big of an impact does that actually have? But I think when you're coming towards the end of a season, even if it is a shortened season, I think that wear and tear on a defensive line, I think, was big. And this is why I think that you needed to rotate in more guys this game or rotate in more guys in the UCLA game because both those guys played a ton of snaps there as well. But you saw – both Marlon, we, we had a big concern about him. You know, second half of the season, uh, he, he faded in the second half of the season, even in the shortened season. And Drake Jackson, when you lose a bunch of weight, are you going to be able to hold up at the end of a season? And he didn't make, a, he didn't make many plays the last couple of games either. So, And I think the three games in 13 days definitely plays a factor in that as well. But I, I think that you needed to have – you need to be looking out for those guys and you know get some other guys some reps – and rotate them a little bit more to try to keep them fresher in these last couple of games than they, what they ended up doing. Yeah, it makes me wonder what it would have looked like down the line if you know USC had been able to have a Jay Tufele in the lineup, or you know maybe a Trevor Trout to give some snaps there uh, uh, and give some rest to those interior guys. Yeah, it, it's interesting because Brandon Peely came back and he played uh, you know a good amount of snaps, particularly in this final game. Uh, but you didn't use guys like Caleb Tremblay very much. Uh, you, you could have done some different things, you know, with the defenses that they did, but they chose not to. And it it it, it kind of makes you wonder what could have been there, you know. And you know, it it's up to the players, it's up to those backups to to step forward and, and make some impact as well, so that you feel like you're comfortable with you know eight guys deep, you know, rather than just four in the front line. Uh, but USC definitely, I think their two biggest stars on their front line didn't make a ton of plays the last couple of games. This is something we talked about on instant analysis, but I had stocked down for correcting the mistakes that you've identified and have identified for multiple seasons, specifically in the sense that I want to talk about penalties. It was just killer penalty after killer penalty, and they were boneheaded penalties too. And I know fatigue plays into that. Also effort coming out of the half, just over-pursuing on defense. And it's just like you can't have penalties like that. And they just killed the momentum that USC was just trying to create to have another late comeback. And so, you know, discipline and penalties is something that Clay Helton has been talking about ad nauseum, and it's just not there. And 
it's one of those things where you said you could fix it multiple times, and I think we have to just come to the conclusion that you can't fix it. It's part of this team, and it's a it's an issue. And at least in the Pete Carroll era, I know I talked about this, but they were good enough at least to to overcome those those penalties. And if they if they were an issue, it was like over celebration, not just you know just very stupid mistakes. So stock down on on fixing what you know is wrong. Also, stock. I gotta add to it. Because I think it's more, it encompasses more than just penalties. But I said on a different podcast, if you were surprised at this outcome of this game, you weren't watching the, these games in 2020 close enough. Because all the problems that were there on game one were there in game six. Nothing was really fixed in that sense. So I, I think on the defense, there were adjustments made both in game and throughout the season. But as far as other issues on offense, it just things weren't fixed when we it was watching the same game over and over again this season. So stock down on on fixing issues that a lot of people have identified. I feel like you could have used that stock down at any point in the last like 4 or 5 years. True. And I think that points to the whole Clay Helton theme, you know? You can identify the mistakes You just can't correct them or correct them in a way that it holds and becomes part of the team's culture, you know? You have a nice little evergreen stock down there. Chris, I believe it's time for your stock down. What do you got? I mean, this one's pretty obvious, but I try to do it in a creative way instead of just saying run game. But I had USC's running back U stature just because – the run game has just been completely <laughs> obliterated like the last two years in this in this air raid. I believe it was 38 total yards of rushing, something like that. I mean, Oregon players were, I don't know if you saw on social media, but they were clowning the rushing yards after the game. It was it was it was embarrassing. And just just and just to be from a school that is known for their running backs like USC, I don't know how this team can recruit a running back throughout the next couple years, as long as these this run game struggles continue. They're lucky they got a hold of Brandon Campbell and kept him on and signed him up. He's I think he's he's a really good talent to have back there. But yeah, I don't know how you can continue to recruit when you're struggling to produce like fifty yards in a game. It's a valid valid point. I mean, you, you look at their status and it's built on Heisman trophy winners and stuff through the years at the running back position and no one's winning a Heisman in in this offense with what they're doing with the running backs uh, right now. Um, they're, they're not blocking well enough up front. You know, they didn't give the running backs a chance at all. I, I think the stat that I said uh, previously this week was that between the two running backs, they had 25 carries and they had seven yards gained before contact. You, you got to give them an opportunity to get going and create some yards for the running backs for the run game to really be effective. Now those guys are going to break some tackles. They finished with, you know, they finished with uh, I think 22 yards um, uh, after contact as well. So they're going to give you some yards after contact, but you got to give them an opportunity. There's too many times where they're just the running backs are getting hit in the backfield, or there's just nowhere to go for them when they get to the line of scrimmage. You know, there's just not consistent holes, not consistent run blocking up front. So you know, it, it's tough to see where USC goes from here as far as the run game. Are they going to make some adjustments? It doesn't sound like it. If you keep the same exact coaching staff, Graham Harrell has made it, you know, has made it pretty clear that the run game is not a big concern to him. You know, as long as they're throwing the ball and as long as they're picking up yards, then it's perfectly fine if they don't run the ball well. Now, my concern and my thought is that you need the extended run game to be good. It doesn't have to be rushing yards, but you need to be able to pick up, you know, quick passes, 
to the edges, those can be a part of your run game. Those can be, you know, what you need to rely on if, if, if possible. And then you're able to run the ball up the middle because you're spreading the defense out with some of those quick screen passes. The extended run game has to be effective. It doesn't have to be rush yards, but you need the extended running game to be effective because otherwise Keaton Slovis is dropping back and now the receivers are running, you know, eight to 10 to 15 yard routes every time. And now that's when he's getting a bunch of big hits and you saw him in this game take a bunch of big hits, and it has a cumulative effect on quarterbacks, those hits. You know, they start getting more and more shaky the more you hit them. And I, I think you saw that in this game against Oregon. I can't imagine what running back recruiting is going to look like. Hopefully this spring when, you know, recruits can start going back on campus where it's like, all right, guys, let's show you the, these Heismans here. Look at look at, look at at these. This could be you. This could be you. And then like, but coach, what about those 38 yards you had in the Pac-12 championship game? No, no, man. Just look at the trophies, man. Look at the trophies. That's all. We're, that's what we're all about right now. Look at the trophies. So I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. And what's interesting is that I thought in the air raid offense that we would see some opportunities for some big gash runs. That they're going to throw the ball a lot, but you're going to see someone like Oklahoma State has done, you know, with several running backs over the years, where you know they just find a hole and suddenly they're gone because you've spread the defense out so well. And you have a guy like Chuba Hubbard come in. He's really good. And, hey, you feed him a little bit more. But you haven't seen that with USC. You know, the, the running back, their primary job is to be an extra pass blocker. That's what they were used for in this game much more than, to, hey, we need you to rely on you to, to actually uh, run the ball and pick up yards for us. It's, it's more, hey, can you help out and keep Keaton Slovis healthy? Which I feel like is an oxymoron in itself, because if you're not utilizing your run, running backs and you're making your offense one-dimensional in that sense, you're putting even more pressure on Keaton Slowis. So it's like a chicken or the egg in that sense. Not to preempt all of you, but I also had stocked out on Keaton Slovis. We probably all will talk about that. Yeah, Keaton Slovis, when you throw three interceptions, you're going in a stock down. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Um, you know, he had been playing much better in the, in the last couple games. You know, he hadn't been showing any hesitancy, but I think the impact of the pass rush really affected him this game. Um, and the fact that even the first drive you saw before Oregon hit him, they were just, they had everything covered up and he didn't have the options to, to turn things into, you know, didn't have open options out in the field to throw to USC. It seemed like Oregon knew what they were going to run the first couple of drives. And, you know, he was never able to get into that rhythm. Like you've seen him get into throughout the last couple of games of the season. So it, it was it was disappointing to see that Keaton Slovis had regressed in this game in the biggest stage and three the three interceptions. Um, they just they weren't good throws. You know the throw to Tyler Vaughn's needs to the the first one needs to be way outside. The second throw to Tyler Vaughn's I don't I don't know exactly what he was seeing on that. I don't know if he just never saw the cornerback. You know expecting him to come off. And then the last one, you know he throws the ball ten yards down the field. I think he probably thought the first down marker was the line of scrimmage marker. And he's just trying to get it beyond the chains to to be you know to to not be an intentional grounding. However, you got to have the wherewithal to know exactly where the chains are to to be able to throw it out of bounds because he could have just thrown that one in the stands. And as long as it passed the line of scrimmage, it would have been an incomplete pass. Can't put that ball anywhere near the field so that someone can catch it. And he threw a little bit of a slider once again. The ball didn't come out of his hand clean. And give credit to to Hill for making a terrific play. But that he never should have had a chance to make a play. Just lob it way the heck out of bounds. Just make sure it gets beyond the line of scrimmage. Uh, and unfortunately for USC, you know, the Oregon defender makes a great play and the drive is over. And this was only a couple plays after that Brew McCoy drop. So, you know, things just kind of compounded against USC on that one. 
Yeah, I also had sort of specifying it a little bit more uh, like big, big game Keaton Slovis. Uh, I think we've seen him come up a little bit short in these kind of marquee games. You know, Oregon had his number the last two years. That's six interceptions in these in these duck games. I still don't think he has that marquee win. I I know he played well in that Notre Dame road loss uh, last season. Uh, He had that big that big Stanford game in his first true start. But I don't know if you would classify that as like a signature win. He's still looking for that big win, you know, like not to compare him to Sam Darnold, but, you know, Sam had his big Washington uh, road win. He had the the, the Pac-12, Pac-12 championship win. Uh, still looking for that marquee signature performance in a big moment type game from uh, Keaton. So still time to do that. I just I, that's just something I, I noted uh, in my stock down. Darnold also had that that one game in the Rose Bowl. That was a pretty good marquee win for him as well. Look, look, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just giving the things, and you guys fill in the things. Uh, those are the things, the things that happen. Do we have enough data points at this point to attribute a pattern of quarterbacks regressing in their second year under Clay Hilton, USC? That that's an interesting thought. Um, uh, Shotgun, just gets, Shotgun just got a story idea. He's going to spend 10,000 words on it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to to think about because you can look at it and say so. Is it just a sophomore slump with Keaton Slovis? Is it the injuries? Um, you, you talk about big game. My first thought was, hey, he's going to get injured in each big game. You know, He gets injured in the bowl game last year. He gets injured at the end of this game. The offensive line is just not protecting him well enough. Um, but – it's you put up a great point, Chris. I think that he is not he is missing that signature win, and he's got more starts than a guy like Mark Sanchez had at USC. So it's time for him to to step up and make those big plays and make those big throws. And he's done. He's done. He's made some really big time throws. Made some big time plays. You think back to the Arizona State game that throw to Drake London to win the game, but those are come from behind against teams you should have been ahead of. Where's the marquee win? Where's that big time, you know, top 10, top 20 victory? He's still missing that one. Is that fair, though, given that he doesn't have a big time O-line in that sense? He's his two years at USC has just been under siege. You know, like he I don't know if that's fair to put that all on him. Did Sam have a big time O-line? He had more. He had higher rated players than Slovis does. Did he? I think so. He he had a run game to go with it. There were times when, you know, you had Zach Banner, you had Chad Wheeler on the edges, you had Chuma Doga, you know, guys that are in the NFL and played in the NFL that were able to create a run game at times. You know, I remember that, that UCLA game where USC just completely demoralized guys like Tack McKinley with their run game, run the same play over and over and over. They don't have that now to take a little bit of that pressure off of him if the quarterback it does have an off day. Now, Clay Helton has said that multiple times. Hey, sometimes, you know, at any level, a quarterback's going to have an off day, and your running game's got to step up for him. Well, he doesn't have a run game at all to step up for him right now, and it makes it that much more difficult. The pressure put is put on him that much more. Uh, so it, it's it's tough to blame just him, which is why I brought up the injuries as well. In the, in the biggest games the last two years, you know, he's been injured because the offensive line hasn't been able to protect him fully. So it's it's a combination. The offensive line plays into it, but he's also got to play better in those big games. He's got to make some better decisions. There were times when there was an open receiver that he, was, he wasn't able to find. Um, you know, So there's sometimes when he's holding on the ball a little bit too long, which allows the pressure to get there. 
there were times in the offensive line I thought they blocked really well, but there was just nobody open, and the play continued and it continued and continued, and eventually the defense is going to get there to to create some pressure if you're holding on to the ball for too long, and Slovis does that at times. So um, it's a combination of those two things together, I think. But Slovis, I think, was definitely on stock down. Also, I'm just going to do a quick stock down. If your in-house radio show needs to ask the head coach, is the run game important to your offense, that's a stock down. That's an automatic stock down in my book. That's all I got to say. Also, apologies to College Football Podcast News Update.com All-American Chad Wheeler. Sorry, I forgot about that one. <laughs> hey, he's been in the league for four years now or something like that, so doing well enough. Uh, stock down on Take Back the West, hashtag. Yeah. Uh, Keely, I, I know you're probably going to want to get into this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift that over. I had Take Back the, the, the hashtag Take Back the West, but also championship chances. Because this was a year that USC should have been really good. This is the year you have a lot of veteran defenders that could be gone next year. So are your championship chances going to go down? Especially against Oregon, who has a lot of fresh faces this year. Against an Oregon team that had multiple opt-outs in their secondary. Against an Oregon team that replaced their entire offensive line. This should have been USC's championship season. The schedule was cleared for them. You know, they lost. They took off Alabama. You took off Notre Dame. You took off a, a game at Oregon. It just seemed like every iteration of the schedule got easier for USC. You don't play the the, the Pac-12 North champion. You play the second-place team. Now, is that better or worse for USC? That can be debated. However, this all lined up for USC to win a championship. It should have been there. And with the players they had, they should have won this year's championship. And instead, they didn't. Now, if you lose Talano, you lose Marlon, you lose you know those guys that we've talked about as potential guys are leaving, Elijah Vera Tucker and Amon Ross St. Brown, Who's going to fill in for them? Is this team going to be better talent-wise next year than this year? I don't know. I think you're getting some talented guys in that freshman class. Are they ready to contribute immediately? I don't think you want to have to have them contribute immediately, but I think you're going to need to because you just have not recruited at the same level the last two seasons. So, therefore, this was their big opportunity to win a championship, at least in the Pac-12. And instead, I think that they they, they missed out on that, that opportunity. Just extenuating circumstances, sure, with the COVID, with the 3-13, and 13, with all these things. However, this was the year they should have won. They didn't do it. Yeah, I had things similar to that on Stock Down. I had Stock Down for the hashtag. I had Stock Down for credibility. You know, you can't just say, take back the West. You can't say these things. And then when push comes to shove, you're second to Oregon in recruiting rankings. Right now, I know that there's quote-unquote big fish still out there. I feel like USC models a toxic relationship a little bit to its fans because there were so many, hey, we're different, we're, we're close, we're there, and yet you, you come up empty in a championship game where you should have won. And like Shotgun said, this was the year. And so to have Clay Helton afterwards say, hey, we're close, and in, on Trojans Live say the championship was not denied, it was delayed, it's like how many times can you say you're close? Like how, how long have you been here? You know, and I know you're a coach. So you, what else are you going to say? But there's only so many times you can get away with that. And, and I know I'm just whiny right now, but it's just frustrating as a reporter to hear the same things at the end of every season, because it just doesn't seem like there is credibility to what's being said. And I think fans would completely agree with you. They're tired of hearing the same things over and over and seeing the same results over and over. Uh, but going back to the hashtag, hashtag take back the West, you know, USC has used that in recruiting over and over this season. Uh, they want to be you know, on top of the, the West as far as recruiting rankings go, but also you have to do it on the field. 
And when you say when you have that as your, your mantra and you don't do it, then that's definitely on stock down. But also Dante Williams on their their show that they did on signing day not only said that it was hashtag take back the West, he said, you'll see him on Friday. The West has been taken back. Was he referring to watching Oregon celebrate on the field at the Coliseum? Because that's all I saw, that you know that they're back-to-back Pac-12 champions. Uh, Tyler Vaughn said, we can't lose to them. No, we're not going to lose to them. You did lose to them. So everything that USC said leading up to it did not play out. And you know once again, we're left to, to wonder, you know, it, where this team is going to go from here. Because like I said, their championship chances, I think, are worse now um, going into the next season with the potential opt-outs they have. We'll see how this offseason plays out, you know, who they can bring in, if they bring in some transfers, different things like that. But it, it doesn't seem like they're on an upward trend at this moment now. Yeah, I had a like, sl- stock down on uh, guaranteeing victories. That just never seems to work out well for anyone. So sorry, Tyler Vaughn. Just learn, learn a lesson for anybody moving on. Never guarantee the victory. Just just stay quiet and then let it play out. It, it never works out when you guarantee the victory. To tack on to my credibility stock down, I guess, I in tandem with USCPR stock down, I thought coming out a day later with the opting out press release, it just was not a good look. I do believe that if they are in the Fiesta Bowl, we're not talking about them opting out. And so it's one of those things where you're going to write to the governor of California, hashtag we want to play, also another stock down for a hashtag, and then you don't get the bowl you want and you're not playing. You know, it's, it's, I, I get it. And, and the weird thing is because of the public backlash, I think the stories have been changing from the initial things that I was hearing at the time, but the players were just kind of spent. And done and wanted to go home and see their families, which I don't blame them for. I feel like I would feel the same way, but it's just hard when you have this bravado to start the season to get the season back. And then it appears from the outside, you don't get the bowl that you wanted and now you're done. You know, it just, it doesn't, it's not a good look. And I'm always pro player, but it's just, I don't know. I'm very indecisive about this, if you can't tell. Why am am I going to grind, continue my grind to play in the Alamo Bowl, like, I get why they didn't want to play. I, I just don't see why. I, I understand the PR handling of it was was not great, but I'm not faulting them for not playing. I mean, all the teams around the country are, are opting on a bowl. Let them go see their families, their kids. They lost the big game. Yeah, move on. They don't want to do the grind anymore. That's fair. We, we've been, you know, isolated from each other and everyone, and they've been isolated too, just been around each other. They want to see their families. I, I just don't agree with knocking on the players for not wanting to play. They don't have to play. No, this is a pandemic. No, no, I know. And on Tunnel Vision, I was much more understanding of the player's perspective. And, and I prefaced it on Tunnel Vision with this is kind of a nuanced conversation. But I just feel like the fans are really disappointed because it feels like they're giving up. But at the same time, the fans have different expectations because they see players as entertainment versus we, I think we see more of the the personal side of it, I guess. I don't know. So like I get, and I, and I've been told throughout the whole season, like no one fully understands the toll that it took to be isolated, be one of the few people on campus to follow the strict protocols in LA County to get to play. So I completely understand this and I'm, I'm pro player. I just think from a, you wrote a government official that you wanted to play and then you're not, you know? So I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I understand completely. I think I would do the same thing they did. 
It just doesn't look good from a 30,000 view. And I would just say they wrote the governor for a chance to play for the Pac-12 title, not the Alamo Bowl. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, it, it's a it's a difficult topic to, to fully get the full breadth of it because, like both of you said, the players, they've gone through so much that probably doesn't you know even capture the regular fans' attention. You know, the, there was an article out today, I, I think on The Athletic, and the tweet sending it out was, was it was talking about how, you know, what the players have gone through across the country. Um, and one of the, the things it said was there are scouting reports on which nurses to take that were more gentle with the swabs up, the nasal swabs. Because those swabs are, you know, deep in the back. And, like, if you watch any of the guys' Instagram, they're talking about how it feels like they're drowning, those type of things. So you there's scouting reports on nurses. Like, that's that's an in-depth thing that you don't think about. Like these are the type of things that, uh, you know, are affecting players every day that just get completely, you know, pushed aside on Saturdays when players take the field. So I, I think that the average fan doesn't necessarily think about all the things that are going through it and the mental toll it has taken on them this season to be in school, to be trying to, to go through a season while, you know, dealing with all these COVID protocols and whatnot. I understand all that. Like Healy said, the, the, uh, the PR, way they went about it probably uh, was interesting. The way that the, the messages kind of changed behind the scenes as well, of the players just being over it uh, and, and just being done to now, well, you know, maybe the players didn't take a vote on it. Maybe certain things didn't happen. And like there being the, the changing of the narrative a little bit. I had on stock down availability. Now, part of it is the mental availability to go through and play that bowl game. You know, you, you've, build up your hopes on this New Year's Six uh, potential. You build up your hopes on a college football playoff chance. And now to go from that to we should be in, they should, we should be in this conversation to suddenly you're in the Alamo Bowl and you're going to San Antonio, you know, it changes completely for the players and where their mental aspect is, but also availability for players. You had some big-time injuries in this game. Amon Ross St. Brown and Keaton Slovis, uh, Clay Helton said they were unlikely, they were not going to be able to play, those two guys. Elijah Vera Tucker came into the game with a hamstring issue. Uh, he was a game-time decision, I was told. Clay Helton said it was unlikely that he would play in the game. Now, he, maybe that's because he opt-outs. Maybe that's because of the injury itself. Uh, he tried to play through in this game. He didn't look uh, to the same level he has been early in the season. Those are three really big pieces on the offense. So I understand if the players you know, afterwards are like, if we're going to go into this and we're going in with our backup quarterback, we're going in without our best wide receiver, we're our best offensive lineman, What's it going to look like when we try to go play a team? Maybe we don't want to play this game. You know, you just get deflated by all these things. So I understand, but availability is one of my things. You know, Clay Helton said they came into the game with 60 players available, um, and then they, you know, you lose those three guys. Now you're down to 57. He said they were getting really close to that 53 mark. I don't know exactly how the math works there for him. They didn't use – they didn't always use anywhere close to 53. They only went over – 53 or more scholarship players once this season, and that was in the blowout to Washington State when they used a lot of the reserves. Otherwise, they were underneath that threshold. So they could have played, but I think the mental toll definitely had an impact, and just the availability, the mental aspect of it, I think is overlooked a lot of times by fans. So I think that should be noted, but USC not going to a bowl game. It, it's it's something that it, it's hard to get a full wrap around the whole concept both from the PR side, the player side, the fan side, all of it. It's a, it's a very uh, difficult conversation, I think. Shotgun, this is when you offload the rest. What, <laughs> what else stock down do you got? 
Just one more, and uh, maybe this was injury-caused and part of it, but Elijah Vera Tucker, All-American status. And I, I think that that, you know, he got beat by Kayvon Thibodeau a couple times. He just he wasn't great in this game, and maybe that it won't – I don't think it'll affect his draft stock or anything like that, so I'm not necessarily stocked down on Elijah Vera Tucker. He didn't play great in this game. I'm going to give him a pass coming up with a hamstring issue. But – I think it does take a hit as All-American stats because just like we talked about with Talanoa Funga, it was going to be interesting to see how many guys that only play six games are actually in that mix. Now, he's been dominant the first five games of the season. If he just played average or okay or, or good, then I think that he's definitely in that conversation and you know he would be in the mix. But now, since he got beat a couple times, now you got to go, well, I, I think voters might look at it and go, well, that's the first time he's played some real legit pass rushers and – Maybe that's why, you know, maybe the numbers from the previous games weren't as high as they should be. So I think his All-American status definitely took a hit in this. And some of it's not his fault, you know, only playing six games. But uh, the the appearance of it gives off that that he's not going to be an All-American, which is unfortunate for him to, to not be able to get on that, that wall as well. But we'll see if some if he, he plays out and they, they put him out there as well. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's a guy you think is deserving of being on that wall, a quiet All-American who's just been absolutely so consistent and great in in his time as a starter here. Should have probably been, should have been a starter much earlier in his career, but you you hate for him to kind of go out on a a kind of a game like that. Um, But I think he'll be all right with all the money he made this year. (laughs) I think he'll be all right. Good point there. Um, it, It is interesting, maybe depending on how wide a breadth the USC considers all Americans, you know, does he make it on a pro football focus all American list? Uh, does he make it on, you know, a, 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 you know, a college sports madness all American list who, who knows. And if he can make it on the wall from, from something like that, college foot football podcasts, news update.com, baby, let's go. <laughs> Quick audible stock down to uh, maybe it's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I get, I get blamed for this all the time. Like, oh, you got yeah. so many. You always are throwing audibles in there at the end. Because you, y'all spark my imagination. <laughs> but I had stocked down, and this is partially the pandemic, but partially just because they decided to end the season. There was really no senior day or, like, pomp and circumstance of, like, this is the last time you'll be in the Coliseum or whatever. Um, I'm already making an executive decision that we're skipping Heard It, so I'm just going to add it here, too. Shadi and I saw Talano Fufunga and Isaiah Polmao really spend some time taking in the Coliseum, and it definitely felt like a, a final send-off in that sense. For one of them, for both of them, we don't know, but um, that was kind of their version of senior night, I guess. Yeah, they, they definitely took some time and, and you know spent some time chatting after the game while the grounds crew was out working on the field and whatnot. They were soaking it in, it seemed like, and they shared a pretty long hug. Uh, you know, when they got to the tunnel before they walked up for the potentially the final time together. Um, now, does that mean one? Does that mean both of them? We're not sure, but it, it seems like that'll be the last time that we see those two guys, you know, roaming the the back end of the defense together as safeties. Uh, so that was that was on my heard it for sure. Also. Um, Oregon celebrating on the field was on Hurt It. I'm going to put my Hurt It's out there. You're, you're letting him do this. Do something. Producer. I'm doing do it something. quickly. Do it. You I'm can't, doing keep, it can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> Chris, you just shut your mouth right now. <laughs> shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> exactly. The Oregon celebrating on the field, them diving on the, the Pac-12 emblem uh, in front of the USC bench. Um, I thought that was notable. You know, them having the streamers and dancing out on the field and the whole Take Back the West thing. But my last heard it was also Clay Helton saying, 
this team is on an upward trend. And I just don't understand how that's the case. Now, technically speaking, their win percentage has gone up the last two seasons. But when you go five and seven, there's a very good chance that that's going to happen. Um, but as far as an upward trend, as far, you know, just like I talked about with their championship chances, I think that that's not true at all. So those are the hurdits I had. I did them quickly to get them out of the way for you guys. You're trying to nix my segments over here. It's ridiculous. <laughs> very proud of you, Shotgun. Now, I've got a couple of stock up, stock downs from our listeners. I'm done. So we're going to go through I'm these. Out. No, you're not. You're going to, hey, you are part of this podcast as a, as a guest. So that means you have oh. to come. Oh. Oh. He almost guest. said it. He got himself. He knew what he was doing. Well, that means you have to hold on until the end. Uh, Shane had stock up. Urban Meyer would stick down. I, I'm assuming he meant stock down. Clay Helton. Reaction? Reactions? Urban Meyer is a pipe dream, so stock down for that. Also, to the to the Fire Helton Higher Urban Twitter guy, stop tagging me. I don't care. <laughs> He's like tagged me specifically, just me, a couple times. If you listen to this, stop it. I'm gonna block you. Stop it. I get it. You want Urban Meyer, but stop, stop, stop clogging up my mentions. Alejandro had stock up the quote unquote fight on in the players. Uh, they never gave up in this, and that's that's a good point. You know, USC even being down, they could have been down like thirty-five-seven in this game. It felt like early, but they kept fighting, and, and they had an opportunity. And again, if Keaton Slovis you know throws the ball away, what changes there? Who knows? Um, USC has you know had that penchant for coming back, so they gave themselves a chance. Even on the final drive, they got the ball to midfield and had a chance. They couldn't get the hail mary off though because of the pass rush. So I agree with that, Alejandro. Completely agree with you there with the way the players continue to fight throughout games this season. He says stock down on the overall offense is predictable and obviously can be stopped, and also the running game and also discipline and the overall culture. Uh, so Alejandro had some uh, many more stock downs than stock ups, which I feel like is a common thing among USC fans right now. I think that's just your burner account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And those are a couple of stock up, stock downs from uh, from the fans this week. Thanks, guys, for for sending us your your inclusions as well. Agreed. We love hearing from you guys. And speaking of which, we have listener questions to get to. First off, it's from Gustavo, who says, "Which players do you think should come back to boost their draft stock?" It's safe to say, AVT, Amon Ra, and Hufunga secured their bag this season. I mean, the first two that jump out to me would be Isaiah Polamau. I think he could do. Uh, a lot to boost his stock uh, coming back for another year. I also think I'm – not, I'm not sure this guy is being considered as a guy who's potentially leaving, but OG, I think he had a good season. He could also boost his stock maybe to a third, second round. I don't know where he'd be projected if he left uh, right now, but I think that guy could be an early-day pick if he stayed for another year. Um, those are the two that really jump out to me right now. I think Griffin is is an interesting uh, case to watch because he's been a lockdown cornerback, but he hasn't created the turnovers. He got his first interception this year. Whereas if he comes back and he has a full season and say he gets six picks or something, that catches the eye a lot more um, for for scouts and stuff because that's one of the things they're looking for in those early rounds is a guy that not only can lock down receivers but also is going to get the ball back for you. So if he comes back and was able to to make a couple of interceptions, I think that could potentially boost his stock up. 
Um, is he going to come back? That's a that's a hard one. This is such an interesting draft class because there's been so many opt outs and whatnot, and there's everyone's going to have that extra year. If you come back and a lot of people come back, does that mean the draft class next year is extra loaded, or is this class going to be extra loaded because of so many people just want to leave because of the hardships? It's hard to exactly figure out where it's going to play out that way as far as the talent in each draft. So you know, I, I think that one. We talked about how Marlon Tuipelotu really drafted his stock, or I mean, improved his stock early. Again, if he comes back and puts together a full season, you know, but also is his draft stock going to be that much better than it would be right now? Where is his draft stock at right now? That one's a difficult one for for me to figure out. And IPM, I think, is a difficult one. Again, sim- similar thing with Elijah Griffin, like how much talent is going to be there safety-wise in this class versus next class, um, whether you want to leave. Um, I, I think a guy – Guys that aren't going to boost their stock, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vons, I don't think they're really going to change their stock that much. Uh, so I think it's time for them that they should probably move on and, and go on. Similarly, the running back group, can you, you know, they could come back and boost their stock, but do they come back to USC to do that? Do they go somewhere else to do that? Uh, you know, I think if, if you go somewhere, you can be a feature back. I think you have a much better chance to showcase yourself with what we've seen from the offense. So, there's, there's a couple of guys out there that you wonder, you know, what they will do. There's some some difficult decisions, not necessarily just leave for the NFL or not, but also, you know, if they stay at USC or go somewhere else. But some guys, some of those older guys could definitely uh, boost their stock even more. I would throw uh, Mr. Brandon Peely in there as well. Got off a slow start to the year with the injury. A senior, I think they would love to have him back to help solidify uh, that interior, especially if Marlon leaves. They got a big transfer coming in, signed a really good uh, defensive tackle, Jay Toya. I think getting those three guys uh, in there would be a, a big a big boost for that defensive line. And he's I, got the talent to be a draft pick. He has the talent to be an NFL player. I don't know about as a draft pick. He hasn't, he hasn't produced enough to be close to the draft board for me. Um, so Which he's a guy. he needs to come back. I think he's a guy that has to come back if he wants if he wants a chance in the NFL. I mean, he maybe he signs on as a free agent right now, but there's just it, there hasn't been the production. And unfortunately for him, he got hurt at the wrong time coming into the season. Uh, next year, he would be the guy. You know, you would expect him to be the guy going in if Marlon does leave. So uh, you know, maybe it, it would be his chance to to shine. And you know, seeing what Marlon did those early games and seeing that the defense, the nose tackle can be a playmaker, uh, should lead a guy like Brandon Peeler to look at it and say. I need to come back. I need to, you know, you need to be able to make some plays and boost up that stock for sure. We kind of already covered this, but Doug said, why in the world is Drake Jackson sometimes 15 yards downfield in coverage? Because he's an outside linebacker. Now they're not using him a ton in coverage, but occasionally they will drop him back. And, you know, if, if your coverage, if you're supposed to go with your guy, if you're in man coverage, then you go wherever he goes. And unfortunately he didn't on that second touchdown that USC gave up to the tight end because that one was a, I think a 14-yard touchdown, um, so he needed to be 15 yards down the field. Jamie sent us a question that says, how does a player play six games, and in one game he grades out with an F, and he gets Defensive Player of the Year in the Pac-12? Is the Pac-12 de- defensive players really that bad? I mean, I guess you're looking at that, and you're seeing Talano Hufunga, he didn't grade out well from Pro Football Focus in the first game of the season, but it's about production and how you continue to produce and get better as the season goes on. Uh, when you have 17 tackles in a game, when you have four interceptions and in consecutive games, I think that definitely plays a big part in winning the Pac-12 championship. I mean, the Pac-12 defensive player of the year. 
award. If you had five consecutive games with an interception, maybe that would help with the with the Pac-12 championship as well. Um, but you know, Hufanga was terrific all season. You know, he he made plays over and over and over for USC. So even if he graded out poorly in one game, I think that for the season he graded out really well. He was USC's top graded player um, on the defensive side, and he just made big time play after big time play. So that's that's how you do it. Yeah, it just came down to plays. Look at the highlight reel. If you were to make one of Talanoa's season, it'd be fun to watch. That's all it came down to, I feel like. Yeah, he leaped over, dude. Come on. Come on. Come on. Barry Rick says, should USC fire Clay now? Real question. No beating around the bush. Yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I didn't say this, but I have stocked down on a fun offseason for us. I'm just prepared yeah. to mentally handle this question for the next, whatever, six months. Yeah, just do it. Whatever. I'm good with it. Yeah, that actually, I had a stock down on super abrupt endings because suddenly it was like, we're in season mode. It's off season. Oh no, what comes with the off season? Because it's just rumors and angriness and just, it's miserable for us. <laughs> so Yeah. If we're not beating around the bush, I think we've seen what we've seen from Clay Helton, and we know it's not what fans want, obviously, from a USC football team. The question is, what does the USC administration want from a USC football program? And that's the million-dollar question going forward. Yeah, it's the same thing that we've said multiple times is, you know, where does the administration lie on this? That's the, you know, the the million-dollar, multi-million-dollar question. Um, You know, there's a big buyout and all that stuff that would have to take place. Hiring a new staff, who's going to pony up that money? I don't think the USC administration and school are ready to pony up that money at the time with being in a pandemic and being, you know, with them losing a lot of money this year. So, you know, it comes down to if some booster really wants to to put that pony up that money and, and make it happen. You know, as far as performance on the field, USC is not playing to their potential and they're not playing to their blue blood status. So I think that kind of answers the question if you're just looking at the on-field results. You said pony many times, which is a perfect transition to Mini Traveler, who asked, do you think landing Corey Foreman and Rajon Davis is realistic optimism? I think that's very realistic. Uh, uh, Foreman has picked up two major crystal balls for USC. I know crystal balls aren't, uh, they don't guarantee anything, but those are really good, a really good sign for USC. I have not changed my crystal ball. I'd actually probably bump it up a little bit. I think it's about a six right now. And then Rajon Davis, obviously USC has been flirting with him for months now. And he finally backed off his LSU commitment, which is only good for USC that he did not sign on Wednesday. And now they have a couple months to kind of close out with him in February. USC, a big player there. I think it's very realistic that USC can land both of those local defensive guys. Yeah, I think we said on, on signing day on, on a couple of the shows that USC was getting positive news. Both Corey Foreman and Sierra Wright are going to make their announcements on January 2nd. USC seems to be in a good place with both of them, at least to have a shot at them. And then also good news uh, with two of their other big targets, one that Rajon Davis did not sign, 
because USC was not the leader there because LSU was still, you know, his commitment. Now that has, has you know, he's backed off that commitment. So USC, you know, has a great opportunity there to sign him in February. And also a JT Tulumoloa from, from Washington, the other big defensive lineman that he decided not to sign on signing day as well. He put out a top five and USC was in that mix. So with four really big targets, USC at least is in the mix for them. So those were positive news on signing day that those guys did not sign elsewhere, you know, that USC still has a shot with them. Patrick says, why don't any USC reporters ask Clay Hilton why his teams consistently rank towards the bottom at penalty yards despite preaching discipline? I got this one. Hey, Patrick, (laughs) we have. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it. I mean, we've asked questions and they don't get answered that in a way that will satisfy fans. So what can you do? And before we move on, I got to do a quick stock down, audible stock down on Shotgun's audio. <laughs> this is a literal audible stock down. Yeah, because your audio has sucked. I think there's every noise outside your house, apartment complex today. So hey, it's a happening time of year or something. Apparently, everyone needs their trash taken out individually. There's been a trash truck by every four minutes, it feels like here. I don't understand what's going on either. I apologize, guys. And excellent lawn care as well. (laughs) True. Alrighty, Chris, it's time for me to pass the torch to you. Take it or leave it. Take it away. Uh, Let me just stretch my back. Obviously, got to jump through these corporate hoops. Here we are, another edition of the Take It or Leave It corporately sponsored fake sponsorship, whatever you want to call it. Guys, I know it was a rough week for us with a game to cover on short week. And early signing day last week. So thank you to this week's sponsor, Sleep Number Mattress. All three of us will get a top-of-the-line 360 smart bed on the house. Finally, Shaka will know what it's like to be a human and get a full eight hours of sleep. Keely will no longer have screaming night terrors about an all-night podcast edit. And USC fans, we did not forget about you. We have a special code for you to get 56% off your own mattress. That's insane. Sleep like a baby after a 2020 Pac-12 championship. I forgot to update the read. Uh, (laughs) Sleep like a baby after a winning season? Use the code for the love of God shotgun go to sleep. All caps, no spaces. Take the comfort of a peaceful night's sleep and leave behind thinking about that cringy thing you did in seventh grade all night. Sleep number. Only 2% of dumpster mattresses are ours. Now that's quality you can trust. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Chris, I think you outdo yourself each week with these corporate reads. Uh, Well, thank you for Sleep Mattress for sponsoring us. Apparently, we're getting a mattress. Shotgun's in it. Shotgun's in on it. Let's go. Sleep mattress or sleep number? Sleep number. Oh, he said sleep mattress. He didn't even get the corporate sponsor right. Whatever. It's his first first time. You just got to get used to it. I'm just expecting on Christmas Day that there better be a mattress in front of my door, Chris. One way or another. Make it happen. It won't be by your dumpster, I'll tell you that. (laughs) But also... Why was there fifty six percent? It should be a it should be a fifty five percent discount if it's for USC fans, right? True. With the number fifty five. Look, those nerds over there don't know football. They don't know what they're talking about. I tried to talk them into the fifty five. They said no, fifty six. 
We the were big, founded in 56. They wanted it at 56. Big Jordan ESFA fans or I guess. or what? I guess. I guess. I don't make the reads, man. <laughs> Technically, I do make the reads, but in this case, I did not make the read. All right. Let's get into it, you sleepy boys and girls. OG not being on the second team all Pac-12 was a bigger snub than Drake London not being on the first team. I'm going to take it. Huh? And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's not broken up as cornerback and safety. There's four DB spots. So that means there's eight DBs that were better than, than OG. I think he was USC's best DB outside of Talano Hufunga this season. Um, so not to disrespect Chris Steele, but I thought Elijah Griffin was better. Um, so for him not to be on the at least the second team, you know, it was you know surprising to me with Chris Steele over him. And then the guys like with Diamador Lenore, it, does it just come down to the interceptions? What exactly is there? Um, you know, for what, how exactly are they coming up with these four DBs on each team? Uh, I thought it was really interesting that they came up with these eight guys and Elijah Griffin was not one of them. So, yeah, I think that one is. USC, they have so many receivers that I think they went by the touchdowns with the first team, but Drake London was huge as well. It's a very difficult take or leave it, but I'm going to take it that it was a bigger snub. Elijah Griffin was not on the second team. I want to tee it that this is one of those things where Shotgun put on his lawyer hat, convinced me, so I will take it. Elijah Griffin was USC's second highest rated defender, according to Pro Football Focus. Oh. Just saying. Backing it up with the facts. Yeah, this is his searching period. Searching period? You Every time he says to take it or leave it, your little keyboard hands go, and you're ready to go with some facts. He's keyboard the, hands? Mm-hmm. He's the, the Kermit Jeff. Visual bit, well done. Moving on. Zero points out of the onside kick was more detrimental than zero points out of the Mauga pick on Friday. I'm leaving it. You need, Leave, yeah. You, you needed to capitalize on that Mauga pick, especially because Oregon got the ball coming out of the half. It was a complete momentum killer. So leaving that. I completely agree because of the momentum that USC could have had going into halftime. Uh, the fact that you know, they took the ball away, and the fact that Oregon was going to get the ball after halftime, and they go on this, you know, basically half a quarter drive that, you know, eats away the clock, but also puts them up by more points when USC could have really had an impactful drive right there before the half. I, I think that one was much more um, impactful in the grand scheme of the game. So I'm leaving that one as well. Moving on. There will be more than three coaching changes to this staff for next going into next year. More than three? Yeah. Leave it. I don't, I don't, mm, mm. wait, I forgot about. You did, You just did the entire, that meme. The kombucha girl? Yeah. It's because then I forgot John David Baker is a tight ends coach now, which should tell you something about the tight ends position. Um, I'm going to go bold and say take it, actually. Oh. Harold leaves, takes JDB with him, and they also get rid of Tim Drevno. I'm completely speculating highly right now. But I'll just be bold. You know, my I'm tapping into that persona I established last week. I'm going to leave it. Because if they don't make the decision um, at top, if they made the decision at top, then everything changes. But if they don't make the decision at top, which I don't think they will, then... At most, you have a couple guys departing 
for our new jobs. I don't think there's going to be a bunch of firings this offseason. Moving on, it seems like USC has been a big player in the transfer portal. Already land one highly former highly ranked recruit, Alabama, Ishmael Sopcher, I think that's how you say it. USC will land two more starters out of the transfer portal this offseason. I think they need to. Whether or not they can is the big old question, Chrissy T. I'm going to leave it. I think they'll get an offensive lineman that will potentially start. Um, and I think they will get a couple more transfers, but I think they will be uh, rotational guys and not starters. I will agree with that assessment. I'm going to leave it as well. All right, and finally, Clay Helton will be a lame duck, lame duck coach in 2021. I mean, we've said this for how many years now? I mean, I actually do think so. If that USC athletic admin stays the same. All right, Keely's taking it. That's all I need. Moving on. I'm going to leave it just because it's you not watch happened. The world burn? It hasn't happened. We've thought that it, you know, that it would happen a couple of times now. And it still hasn't happened, so I'm just going to go with the trend there. I'm following the trend, just like Eric Cromanhook trends. His seat has been so hot that it's like reverse into a cold seat. It's like so hot that it's cold. Some scientist <laughs> needs to tweet me about that because I think that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like those. It's like those people that put water or something on their hands and they can grab lava. What? Never seen those videos? Yes. Yeah. Am I allowed to audible take it or leave it? Oh jeez. Please. That means you're giving us a ticket or leave it? Yes. That means I have to participate yes. in my own game? Yes. I don't like this, but I'll allow it. Yes. Okay. Chase McGrath should have been the starting kicker this season. Take it or leave it. I'll take that. I think there's some moments that were way too big for Parker, and I would have been curious to see how he would have done if there was a, if this was a full... Uh, stadiums were filled with people and there was a lot more pressure in those moments. That that 41-yard miss he missed right before halftime was just a very... He's, he's trending towards like an inconsistent kicker with a big leg. He obviously had the leg to make that, but just you know missing that was just a huge blow uh, for the offense and the morale of that team. I think Chase makes that, so I'm going to say take it, because I actually had Parker a little bit on my stock down uh, for how the season ended with him, but a lot of talent just needs to find that consistency. So I will say take it. It's amazing how many things that you have on your stock up, stock down that you don't mention, apparently. Look, I'm not like you. I need to t- tell the world everything I'm feeling. If you write it down, then it should be <laughs> included. That's why we're, we're stuck with three-hour podcasts. No, we're stuck with three-hour podcasts because my audio over here is terrible with trash trucks. Um, <laughs> As the car drives by. As the car drives by. <laughs> <laughs> all the time yeah i'm uh, i'm i'm leaving this one i think you you get your your freshman if you think he's more talented then you let him grow especially in a season that's going to be wacky and you don't have the pressure situations i think you let him grow even if you miss it and who's to say that chase mcgrath gets two onside kicks onside kicks are so rare that i'm going to give parker lewis a boost that he helps usc win that arizona state game just because of his onside kick that's fair, but Parker missed three and six games, and Chase missed three and thirteen games last season. I'm not saying that the Chase would. Facts. I'm not saying that Chase wouldn't have made potentially more field goals than Parker. 
However, if you see them as two evenly things, just like when you're playing video games, if you have an evenly ranked junior versus an evenly ranked, you know, they're both an 80 on the ranking system or whatever on, on NCAA football, you play the freshman because you know they're going to improve as their season goes along. You have more time with them. So Yeah, I think to your onside kick point, you could also argue that they're probably not in as close a game at Arizona if he makes that kick in the second half. And... How does the game go if they actually score points off off of the Malga interception? You know? You never know. But that's why you play. You never know. Okay, Chris, I was done. I'm done impersonating you. Thank you, Keely. You did an admirable job in your first take it or leave it spot duty. I hope one day I can take over and do the intro for Family Feud, maybe when I'm an official member. Now, moving on to our fun ones. Let me let me go back real quick, Chris. I just want to point something out on Elijah Griffin. Going back to that point, like he said, I was looking up numbers. Elijah Griffin was the fifth highest ranked DB in the Pac-12 as far as overall grade by Pro Football Focus, and he was the seventh ranked um, DB as far as coverage grade. So both of those were in the top eight. So how is he not one of the top eight players? I don't know. I'm just saying. All right. Finally done with the USC ones. We get to the fun ones. Most of these are Christmas themed, like my outfit. But we're going to start off with a doozy. Putting ice in your milk. Take it or leave it. I saw this the other day, and I just needed to get an opinion. Did any of you do this? Do you know anyone who does this? Are we taking it or are we leaving it? I'm leaving it. It's gross. I I take it because I've done it before. It's not an all-the-time thing, but yeah, that's something that's done. What is the purpose, though? Make it colder. Do you, no, do you, do you not have you your don't milk have in the, the best refrigeration in poor neighborhoods in the South. Thank you. I don't know how to respond to that. Makes me feel like a jerk. Chris is a milk elitist is what we learned today. A milk elitist. Yeah, I had the freshest, coldest milk, those glass bottles. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> who, I'm done. Who, who has a ice cream truck? If it's shotgun, I'm throwing them out the window. Is it shotgun? Of course I've got an ice cream truck, guys. Every goddamn thing in the world. I can't believe I can't do this. I can't work under these conditions. I can't believe it. Hey, if one of y'all wants to get me a soundproof studio room to record in. Keely's done. Keely's done. Please clip this and, and upload this. There's been so many noises today in the background that I didn't even notice it. We've had gardening, we've had dumpster trucks, we've had just general trucks, we've had an ice cream truck, we've had cars zooming by. It's too much. All right, let's move into the Christmas-themed ones, because Christmas is this week. Candy canes. Take it. Leave it. What? I'm also a hard leave it. I'm also a hard leave it. I just want to... Why? I'm okay with them, but I I would much rather have cookies. (laughs) Okay. Uh, eggnog. Leave it. Oh, no! <laughs> I still heard the truck. I hope you leave all of this in. Leave all of this in. Let them know what kind of monster is <laughs> terrorizing us today. <laughs> he tried so hard <laughs> to get it in quickly and you can still hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm overheating at this stupid thing. Ice cream truck. I can't. I'm not even halfway done with this list. 
I'm gonna leave it on eggnog. It's just not good. I fully expected Shotgun to take it with some with some liquor. So he surprised me. Or like some weird addition like corn. What? <laughs> Pizza, not eggnog. But you always are like, yeah, I like it if X, Y, and Z, and you add some weird thing to it. I just try to be succinct, guys. There's yeah, I like, it if, coming. I like it if you put gummy worms and pineapples in it. All right, fake Christmas trees. Are Take you it. A, okay. We have one in our apartment, so I'm taking it. I also have one in my apartment. Leave I know Keely is a go down and cut her own tree kind of girl. Yeah. If there's a if there's a preference, I'm taking a real one. Okay. That's... But I'm not going to not take the fake one just because it's so much easier to be honest. Yeah, we have a eight foot noble fir in our apartment. The fresh pine that hits you when you walk through the the door is just beautiful. Chef's kiss. Uh, if it's an eight-footer, who uh, jumped off the couch elf-style to hang the topper? Oh, that's fun. I should have done that. I didn't, though. <laughs> Great segue to our next one. You're taking one, leaving the other. Elves or gnomes? Take the elves. <laughs> <laughs> he was so ready for that take. He's like, oh, I'm ready. I've been waiting for this question. You take those, those dang elves. How are gnomes Christmas-related? They're both mythical little creatures. I, but they're no. in the same like genome, <laughs> genomes. Oh, I'm losing it. I'm losing it, guys. We need to get through this. No, I, see, but I think of gnomes for like springtime. I'm not saying they're a Christmas thing. I'm just saying they're in the same family of small magical creatures. I guess take elves right now. Ask me this gnomes, in spring. Gnomes, gnomes have beards. Yes. What is your point? <laughs> I, I, I thought that would sway more people, but I guess not. All right, no. moving on. This is a tradition I had in my family, so I'm wondering if it's something that you guys did, so take it or leave it. Opening one gift on Christmas Eve. It's not what I did, but take it. You know, whatever people's traditions want to be, then let them be. Agreed. Let's wrap up this podcast. This isn't a take it or leave it. You just need to tell me what the best Christmas you ever got as a child was. And then you're free. I got a TV and a Sega Genesis in the same Christmas. So that, one, that was a legit Christmas. I spent all, all night uh, playing through until probably midday the next day and then passed out for a long time. Do you remember what the game was? Um, I, mean, I, got, I think I got two games or something with it. But uh, the Sonic 2, Sonic and Tails, uh, was the game that came with the system. Okay, okay. So when I was like seven, I couldn't really nail down the difference between an electric guitar and an air guitar. So I kept asking for an air guitar and my mom kept being like, I'm going to get you the best air guitar you've ever seen, not knowing what that meant. But I ended up getting an electric guitar. So that was fun. So yeah. But, but to be clear, an air guitar is not a real thing. No, no, no. It's definitely not. It's just like a imaginary... Guitar. I think because there's like there's a high school like bit thing called air guitar, and I think I was confusing it. I I would have trolled the shit out of you and just got a giant box and put nothing in that. <laughs> I mean, I was trolled for the month of December, so that okay. I, I I I paid my dues and then I got the excitement. So it was a good good lead up. Million dollar follow up. Do you know how to play guitar? I did at one point. I probably don't anymore. So there you go. 
And that's a great ending to this Christmas edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you again to our sponsor, Sleep Number. Guys, be on the lookout for those mattresses. <laughs> just just worth pointing out that the, the code does not work. I mean, if you want to try it, go ahead. But But what if it did? Could you imagine? <laughs> I would have a lot of questions. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Family Feud Podcast. This is likely our last podcast of 2020. I feel like I just summoned some crazy USC news where we're going to have to come back and talk about it. But this looks like it might be the last one, guys. We made it. 2020. Yeah, we'll see. There's probably going to be some opt-outs or something in the next few days that will force us to come back and discuss something. Who knows? It's, it's USC. There's always something going on. That's true. Chris, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Not really. I thought this was a fun podcast. I hope you guys have a good holiday. I'm very hot in this sweater, and I cannot wait to take it off. And thank you guys for listening to us. We love hearing from you guys and your enthusiasm for the podcast. It makes it fun to do. So thank you for that. That's going to wrap it up. That's Chris. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time.